Hello and welcome to It's All in Your Head, a mental health podcast. My name is Eli Henry. I'm your host. Before we get started today, I just want to say that if you or anyone you love is going through a tough time and needs someone to talk to, you can always call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-TALK. Uh, they've also got an online chat uh, site and, and, and just a lot of great resources on their website. So if you need to talk, don't be afraid. Talk. It's always the right thing to do. Uh, this is episode five of the show, and uh, my guest today is Justin Kaffir. Justin is a writer, uh, a journalist. He writes for Vice Complex Magazine. He is a very smart guy, very interesting path to uh, to writing. You know, um, we, we met in an interesting way, I feel like I should, I should say. You know, we met, he was my Lyft driver, which is like Uber, uh, when I first came out to L.A., and we stayed in touch over Facebook. We, we get into that in the podcast, so I'm not going to say too much about it. But it's just one of those funny things where you meet somebody and you stay in touch over Facebook for years. And it's just, you can either hate someone or like someone that way. You know, it, he was thankfully not one of the people I, I uh, hated and, and nor was I to him. Uh, but, you know, he's got a very interesting path. You know, he studied finance and... Um, uh, he did comedy before winding up in writing, and, and he just had a very interesting life and a very interesting way of getting to where he got to. So we get into all that and and just really kind of catch up on two years of not seeing each other. You know, like I said, this is a podcast where it's it's really just getting to know somebody. And like with Davey in the first episode, who I didn't know very well, Justin's not a guy I know very well. So this episode is very much getting to know him, and I think it's uh, I think it's a good one. I really do. I think you're going to enjoy this. So uh, without further ado, enjoy getting to know Justin Caffier. This is It's All in Your Head. It's all in your head. Caffier, correct? Correct. How many people must screw that up a lot? I mean, it's out here. It's less screwed up than back in Pennsylvania where I'm from. Uh, I had a gym coach that, despite knowing my last name, he would purposefully... Caffier! Yeah, yeah. Just like yeah. like lean into it just to, just a hair to, think, to think that it dug at me or something. Well, luckily, I'm, I'm Canadian, so I understand yeah, the French. But uh, Justin Caffier... <laughs> thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. Absolutely, I appreciate it. Uh, how are you today? Today, I'm actually doing pretty well. I, I woke up like uh, pretty energized, and like when I force myself to go to the gym in the morning, it really does help me. Oh, nice. Start my well. That is that is it. That's what they say. And it's get the endorphins flowing. Yeah, it it it's proven to be a, a toolkit. What uh, what's your workout? Um, I I just went and like lifted and ran for like two miles oh you lift bro oh boy yeah <laughs> no, it's, I, I, it's terrible that you can't do any kind of weight exercise now without invoking that you know what i've said to, i've said on the podcast before but um i feel like because i've talked to somebody about you know uh meditation and and all that stuff and oh you own bro <laughs> you own bro 
uh, you brum. Uh, no, I've talked to people about that before, and it's like all the things that are traditionally like L.A., like, oh, that's mm-hmm. so L.A., are actually really good things to yeah, do. Yeah, exactly. But they've got a bad reputation because of the people that do it. Yeah. Like, you know, like she was talking about Soul Cycle, the guest I had, and she was like, uh, I love Soul Cycle. Like, and I, I sighed because she's the fifth or sixth person that's talked to me about Soul Cycle. I was like, you know, it sounds great, but I just can't. It, it, it's this thing. It's like, you know, yoga, Soul Cycle, exercising, eating healthy, meditation. These are all really good things. But because like enough assholes have been like oh do you it's yeah. gotten this bad la reputation but i still i i want to do them but i it, you know it's my own in a vacuum in a vacuum they're all great things but when you add the kind of cult-like mentality around a lot of those well that's here's the when... thing you say that like la is not a vacuum <laughs> it's vacuous but i don't know <laughs> <laughs> zing um so as you know this is a mental health podcast so let's get right into that so sure. what do you have um, well, when I was younger, I was diagnosed with clinical depression, and over time, it's been downgraded to dysthymia. Oh, I have that. Yep. Yeah, and uh, it's it's pretty manageable at this point. Uh, I was on Wellbutrin when I was younger. I'm on that. Yep. And right now, I'm med free and just kind of like have sort of a bunch of uh, like exercises, like mental tools I can use. Like cognitive behavioral stuff? Yeah, exactly. That, yeah, dysthymia that, is good for that. Yeah, and, and I have, uh, like, episodes, uh, but it's nothing. It, at this point, it's just really, like, I'll be, like, standing on the beach away from a wave, and it, someone will, like, unexpectedly hit me, and that is, you yeah. know, there's nothing I can do about that to prevent that, and I just have to know that it's not it's gonna be my fault, and it's not, you know, there's nothing I did wrong that caused it and it'll be gone so that, that's interesting yeah you know, I, I haven't uh yet talked to anybody else with dysthymia at least that knows they have dysthymia because mm-hmm. you know or dysthymia i, 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 uh, I, I don't know caffeine <laughs> um yeah no i i don't i i talked to a lot of people with you know low-level depression whatever but they, they have never really been diagnosed specifically with dysthymia but well the um, dsm like doesn't even i don't think they recognize it anymore it's something psychology no, they do it's just um uh it's changed names. Right. My well, my ex is a clinical psychologist. Then please correct and, me. And no, and she, <laughs> I was, I literally uh, was texting her about it today and saying, "Is like, is that still a term?" And she goes, "It's something we." She didn't give me the the new term, but she said it's something we used to refer to as dysthymia. Interesting, because I know that it used to be depressive personality disorder, which I I think is a very good way of describing what it yeah. is. Because yeah, it, it's this low level depression that's kind of always there. You're never quite at normal and. You, you occasionally dip into the classic depressive moments, but it's more or less just like you're kind of a depressive person, which is, is weird to recognize because, I mean, I think everyone with mental health issues um, relates it very much to their personality. But that one's so funny because it is literally like being told, yes, that's just you. Yeah. And, and um, in and, a weird way. And people are like, oh, that's, just, you know, I, I'm, I'm glum. I'm an artist. I'm a writer. I'm a blah, 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 blah. Like everyone kind of feels that thing. There's so many of us that feel that, that it feels normalized, that like everyone, and, and you have to realize that like most of the world is not going about their lives feeling this way every day. Yeah, that's something fascinating, and I'm curious to know what you think about that, because I've, I've had conversations with a lot of friends about the idea of, are there people that don't have anything? And for a long time, I was like, no, everyone's got something, everyone's got something. But then as I you know, get older and think about it more. I'm like, no, you know, there are people that don't have anything. Yeah. Everyone feels sad at times. Everyone sure. feels anxious at times. That's normal. But um, depression, anxiety, mental health issues are so specific. I think when we're in it, it's so hard to imagine someone not having it. 
but yeah, there are. That, that's how. That's why we're a diagnosed case because there are people that don't have this. So it's a comparative thing. And also, I mean, just this community out here in yeah. LA and and artists in general just happens to have a higher population with it's because it's just yeah. weird. and I, I, this is I, i've said this on many episodes now and i because i'm recording these all in the space of a week uh so i don't know what order i'm uploading them i don't know how often i'm repeating myself but yeah the thing is with arts and, and the reason i think there's so many people with mental health issues in the arts is because the very nature of mental health is kind of um extreme feeling and extreme empathy, extreme awareness of feelings and inputs. Self-reflection. And, yeah, and so that's that by very nature is going to guide itself towards the arts because if you're extremely empathetic or you're extremely um, sensitive to the inputs from other people's emotions and able to read their things and how it affects you, uh, that's what the arts is. The arts is, is a matter of expression and a matter of getting that kind of stuff out there and commenting on it. And, and being able to replicate it. Exactly. Being, like, I, I can... Like, you know, not tooting my horn at all. I can write something that will make someone feel a kind of way. And that's just, you know, just as someone can sing something that makes someone feel a kind of way. And that's, mm-hmm. we're evoking moods. And yeah, it's and because, I can paint a picture that yeah. someone's going to look at and be like, huh? <laughs> uh, including myself. Uh, but no, I, I, that's exactly, that's exactly it. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about what you do. Um, all right. It, it's funny. I mean, we were talking about this before we started recording, but we met just for those of you at home, and I know I've given an introduction already at the beginning of this, but yeah, we met, you were a Lyft driver uh, when I first moved out here, and I had you twice, and I looked up our, our the old Lyft receipts, and it was three years ago. Yeah. Three, three years and a month ago, and then we've known each other pretty much exclusively over Facebook, which is a really weird way to know somebody, but luckily you, you haven't been one of those people on Facebook who's been so fucking annoying, I've been like, I don't want to ever know you again. <laughs> And I hope the same for me. Uh, yeah, I've hidden all my, my Trump support. On, Great, on perfect. Facebook. That's fantastic. Uh, just bury that right down. Put it behind a wall. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Build a wall. Build Ten a wall. feet higher. It's going to build that wall. Uh, oh, God. Actual Hitler. Um, <laughs> so uh, uh, when we met, we, you know, we talked a lot about comedy because you were doing probably more comedy then. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you don't do it as much now. I don't do it as much now, but I still frequent it. I go to a lot of shows. Uh, I, I mean, every time I see friend shows, I go like i'm gonna go to an open mic next week and then i will wait another three weeks before i do it right yeah it's tough to that's the thing is i've had um stand-ups on the show before and i've just talked to a lot and i know that it's the same thing you've got to do it you got to go yeah. every night and I, i've been pretty good about that for a little while but i i mean i've been dabbling in stand-up for years but i i, I this year i did it more than i've ever done it and even still i'm i've I get busy with something and then I stop doing it. And it's just tough because I really, I love it and I want to get good at it. And the only way to get good at it is to do it constantly. But if you've got other things going on, it's kind of hard to keep that up. It's like the gym, you know? Yeah. You, you, it's a muscle. You really just have to force yourself to, I, and I was talking about this with, uh, regarding the gym with someone the other day, but it is truly like all the build up to getting there. That is the hardest part. And it's the same for when I would, you know, do more frequent comedy. It's, Get, you know, convincing myself and doing the drive and then finally, like, n- running out of reasons to not do something. That's honestly how I do most things that are good for me. Like, yeah, exactly. my, my, my writing... It sucks until it's good, my, <laughs> you know? My writing process for... for And I'm sorry, I just didn't... Spit in the mic, that's fine, don't worry again. about it. My process for... If people aren't used to that on this podcast by now, then they're just going to have to stop listening. For lack of a better term, is, is really me finishing up and like getting rid of all the bullshit the distraction bullshit that i have to do i've built in like half an hour to an hour into my 
preamble to actually write. I do that for waking up. You know, <laughs> oh, like, if oh, I, yeah, that's... like I, people find out when I have to be somewhere and they find out when I wake up and they're like, why are you getting up so early? It's because like, I know that I can't, because I got the dog, I got to walk the dog. And first I'm going to be in bed for 30 minutes at least. On Twitter. And first, I, yeah, first I'm going to, you know, then I'm going to like go sit on the toilet and do the same thing I mm-hmm. just did in bed, but on the toilet. And like, I don't know, there are some people like, you ever meet some, this is so gross. I don't know why I'm getting right into this. You ever meet someone that goes to the bathroom to go number two and then they're out in like five minutes? You're like, how? Yeah, they're a monster. How did you do that? I schedule, like that's, I I schedule around that. Those are those people that don't have any of the depressive stuff we deal with. Yeah. You know, they they don't have any reason to like. Even when I leave my phone outside and I go in the toilet, I'm like still like thinking. I've gotten a lot of work done on the toilet. I've gotten. I wrote the notes, the questions done. for you today while wow. I was on the toilet. I'm honored. Yeah, man. Um, <laughs> God, that's so gross, and we're not even like 15 minutes in. Uh, apologies, folks. We, we, there's no subject off limit. Okay, so I want to talk. Uh, when you okay, tell me about getting into comedy, and then tell me about like kind of getting out of comedy. Um, not out of it as if you quit, but like just kind of like when it became something not as focused for you. It, I don't think there was a conscious decision for it to be less of a focus. I think writing overtook it in terms of, you know, like there's so many things I want to do in a given week. And <laughs> unfortunately, there, there are only so many hours as well. And a big chunk of those hours are often like wasted on like hemming and hawing and like staying yeah. in bed longer than I should. And like dealing with like just being bummed and fuck, you know, fucking like trying to find a way to overcome that to get to the things. And then, so you have to triage what is important and writing is what's paying for me to live. And, and let's talk about what kind of writing that is just for uh, people at home. Uh, I write for vice and complex and I do journalism, but it's like experiential journalism and it's kind of creative. And I, I don't, don't know really. Well, I don't, I, I didn't, I, I did an interview with you for, uh, over Facebook, but mm. for uh, short people, right? Yeah. Met short men with depression, right? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, I don't. I don't feel comfortable calling myself a journalist, even like when some people introduce me as that. I'm like, no, I just. I'm a writer. The last thing, like, like I did was I had like a dominatrix do a sampler platter of tortures on me, and I'm like, I wrote about that. It's a journalist. Yeah. Like, but why, I mean, why don't you feel comfortable saying you're a journalist? Do you, like, do you picture journalists as guys like in Africa or in, you know, Middle East? Like, I'm here standing with a bomb. Well, it, because it's, it's not, um, it's not as impartial. I'm, I'm right. purposely, you're not reporting. Ad- I'm purposely adding like my it, experience. So isn't that the difference between a journalist and a reporter? Like a reporter uh, is impartial. A journalist can be just someone journaling. I wouldn't know because I didn't go to J school. Neither, neither did I. I, no I, I, was I mean, e- I'm just I'm just guessing at this yeah, point. I was an econ major, and I'm never going to use my degree. So yeah, fair enough. <laughs> we are going to get into that oh. in, in, in a minute. But so, when did you get into comedy then? Um, if performing or just yeah. in general? Uh, performing when I was in LA. Actually, no, that's not true. When I was in New York, um, I was gravitating towards comedians and just hanging out with them and. I had a comedian friend like encouraging me. He said, "Hey, you should do this sometime." And I, you know, I was like, oh, "Okay, yeah, I want to do that." And I wrote jokes in a little notebook, and I went back and forth about it. And finally, I got up on stage, and I like did not do well. I didn't, of course not. I didn't bomb, but I mean, but I was like, "Oh, this is not what I was expecting. This isn't like just witty rejoinders and stuff like mm. with friends. It's it's people who expecting who yeah who are expecting a certain thing that you're not necessarily going to give them, 
And did you get back up pretty quickly after, or did you? Like, no, I didn't get back up till I, I moved quickly. I I, I I was so 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 embarrassed you moved to that Los I skipped Angeles. town. Yeah, uh, no, I moved like a ill-advised month <laughs> after that to L.A. And why, I, so, why did you move to L.A.? Um, when I came out here, I was chasing being a talent agent. That's, oh, really? That's, that's what I and I was climbing that ladder. I was a junior agent, and I. Oh wow! I know. I, How was like, that? It was not my people. You know, I. I I kind of came to the realization that I was spending all my free time with creatives and I was like writing and doing stand up and podcasts. And so I just came out of the creative closet one day and you know, it, it was a transition period for sure. I mean, that's hence me lifting you, yeah, but, yeah. but I don't know. I somehow made it. I somehow got through the other side and it seems like it seemed really vindicating once my dad, who's very like conservative and pragmatic guy. And like the whole reason I did an econ major in school anyway, was like, no, you're really good at writing, and you should keep doing that. You should that. do that, yeah. And I was like, oh, wow. Never thought I'd hear you say that, so. What was it like working in the agency world? Was it like, at least, especially with um, the mental health stuff? Because, I mean, working in the entertainment industry, uh, as an actor, I know from what agents deal with and from the bluntness and all that. Like, I, I, I can only imagine being in that world is a little more. It's very high school at times. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, uh, everyone, everyone has problems and everyone's focused on their problems and they're not really focused on you as much as you think they are. Yeah. And so with everybody. Yeah. And so like agents were, you know, dealing with their own shit and just, were you at a big agency? Don't, don't, you don't need to say uh, I, I, I had, I had a stint at a big agency and was at two mid-level agencies for the majority of my time. And yeah, it was, I don't know. it, It was one of those things where I was more into the art of what was happening than the the business and like and that's kind of tough to be an agent yeah yeah unless you're in development and yeah exactly then, and I was not in development it was yeah. I, I was just like talent I, yeah yeah and I was trying to kind of come to terms with the fact that like these people didn't understand why this this director was so much more important than like pushing for pilot season right and and, and I was just like oh I, I can't be the one explaining this to you that like why this is so much more crucial to your client's career and why at the end of the day like this so this was in the flux period like right now it's obvious that like netflix and streaming and stuff is so much more important right but this was like six years ago right yeah this is in four four years ago ago. ago. and and so it was still like oh no 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 like uh well maybe like yeah yeah, we'll see you know it uh fox pilots are are gonna be here forever (laughs) that's funny that you say that considering i was on a fox pilot that it did not go did not go it was like the golden egg it was in the weirdest year for Fox pilots, it was uh, it was Kevin Riley's last year. Oh wow! And it was so I was in one of the pilots he got. It was you know produced by Tina Fey, Robert Carlock, written by Matt Hubbard. Incredible experience. We were all like, "This is gonna go," because why wouldn't why, of it? Of course, yeah. And then it didn't, and we we're like, "That's weird." Um, but it was because Fox was going through that transition, and they were they like, know, "We don't." Well, it was an NBC Studios thing. Just for people at home that don't really know how, how <laughs> all this inside baseball, how this stuff works. But basically, um, you know, pilots you see on NBC might be produced by NBC Studios and put on the NBC network, or they might be produced by Fox Studios and put on the NBC network, or produced by ABC Studios, and, put, and, and same with anywhere else. Like So this was a Fox network pilot produced by NBC Studios. And when the new, uh, when the head of Fox at the time, Kevin Riley, left, they brought in, uh, he was heading up the uh, network, they brought in the heads of Fox Studios to head the network, which hadn't been done in years. So what these guys did was they kind of, you know, canceled everything that wasn't from 
Fox Studios, and then they brought in everything from Fox Studios. So it was like one of those interesting things that happens. It was a shell industry. game a little bit. Yeah, it was like, you know, they had to make their impression, and I get it. It's, 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 it's understandable. But it's, it's this weird way the industry works, and there's all sorts of different sides of it. People aren't like really I was the actor, so I was just kind of sitting around, <laughs> you know, not being allowed to work on anything else, hoping. That was a really depressive moment in my life. I'm but sure. I grew out a Joaquin Phoenix beard. It was insane. But um, but then on the other side of that, the agents deal with all sorts of other stuff, and the executives deal with it. It's, it's just, it's, it's basically nothing is good for anybody for a few months in this city. Like, unless it's really good. And, and really, it just showed me that agency experience is like, everything is so reactionary, unless you are the creative like pushing your idea out there exactly and i and it really is hard to be in such a like fourth tier down uh position to just take whatever is thrown at you at that point yeah uh so writing when did you start doing that um i'd always kind of had an affinity for it but didn't take it seriously like i had it's really funny to me that um one of my first my first class in college freshman year was a English class and uh, I just kind of like threw out a, an essay and the uh, professor was like, I really would encourage you to continue doing like more writing classes and creative writing and stuff like that. And I'm like, nah, I got my business track. Like, I know what I'm doing. You yeah. don't know me. Ha ha ha. And here I am later completely proving her right. But I didn't do any of it until I was in the agencies uh, and I pitched something to split cider because i was into comedy and stuff and i was like hey i can like give you a comedy and agency related nice piece yeah and it did well and then i had friends who were helping me uh like kind of discover like my creative interests and i started writing a script with a friend and he kind of taught me screenwriting as we were going along so did it start it started more as a hobby then. Yeah, it's I didn't I didn't see it as anything serious, but I, I think that's I, how a lot of people start getting. Yeah, I, I knew that it was something that came naturally to me, and and I wasn't uh, I because I, I could recognize just from being in agencies like bad scripts, like I could mm. just see I was like this is terrible, like this isn't how people talk, this is so dumb. Why are people, you know, just just being so enthralled with uh, media for my whole life. Yeah. Just kind of, you kind of, it, it, it's a, it's a class. I mean, build up like, an unconscious, uh, understanding of it. Uh, so you, you're a screenwriter as well. I mean, not, not in, not in not the, in a the capacity, way that I get paid, yeah. for but, but you, you are writing in that sense yeah. as well. And do, do you see a relation between writing scripts and writing articles? At this point? Yeah, I did. I wouldn't have like said are that. Your, are your articles becoming more narrative almost? Uh, well, that's, those are my articles that do best. The ones that are narrative, like the one I did for you that, and no offense, cause you were great in that, yeah, no um, that, that was an assigned one that right. is, that is just a little more, uh, clinical. Know, yeah, exactly. And they're, they're the ones where I am being narrative and more first person are the ones that do better for the site. So it was like the, the dominatrix one. The do- that more yeah. Like that? that, the, how was that? Let's get into that for a second because, uh, <laughs> It, that's not even out. Read it that's it. not even out yet. That'll be out. Uh, oh, I, I don't know when you're going to release. I don't know when I'm going to release this. Either. But when's that, that going to be out? You get that old... mm, mm, later this week or early next week. Oh, this will not be out. By okay. Well then, it's <laughs> out. That'll be you out should, first. You should totally read it. Do you, do you want me? What do you want to know? I, I mean, <laughs> it was, how did you get the idea? How did a, you, you know? A, a, you don't need to tell me the article. No, we'll a, read it, a professional dominatrix I know approached me and said, "Hey, I'd love to partner for a piece, and like, if you want to pitch some ideas around." 
And I said, well, you've read my stuff, and, like, so you know, like, what do you think? And she was like, well, maybe something, like, interactive. How'd like, you know her? L.A., man. Yeah, I guess <laughs> just, that's, that's a fair on, answer. It's L.A. Yeah, I know. It's, uh, that's just interesting, because, I mean, like, were you close? Are you close? No, 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 no. Okay, so it's, it's just kind of interesting she, that she, she was, like... like like a quasi friend who I would see out in shows and stuff. And it's just funny that she was a friend. She was like, we should do Cause like, I can only imagine it's, it's a, a, an interesting thing. It's like, it's what she does, but it's, it's also sexual for some people, you know? Yeah. That's and the point. So it must be interesting to be like, uh, go from being friends to somebody to be like, yeah, like do the thing that you do. Yeah. You can me. tie my balls up. Sure. Yeah. That's, that's, so that's, uh, and it was very, it was kind of clinical and professional. Did you feel vulnerable? Like, totally. I was definitely, I was very vulnerable um, because I was not in charge at all. And I was, I was like, listen, you know, I'm trusting you. Is that uh, something that like you, you, like, do I, do I like, you, do I like, are you attracted to that? No, no. That? I, you know, I, I, I said going in, I was like, listen, I don't think I'm into this. And so maybe the, the pitch and the one that my editor run for is that like, I'm not into this. So <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to grade the various forms of torture by a dominatrix. And, into it, yeah. and, and I was telling the dominatrix, I was like, listen, uh, you know, I don't know if I'm more afraid that this will all suck or that you will like tap into something that I did not know. I like, <laughs> And then I'll Take have to cold con- contend with that. Uh, which would be great. Yeah. Uh, wouldn't that yeah. be awesome if like you were like, oh my God, finally. I, I don't know if my wallet would love it, but. <laughs> yeah, that stuff's expensive. Oh, it's it? so, I think she's, she gave me like a thousand bucks session for free pretty much. Jesus crazy so yeah that's you should become a dominatrix you really should i i thought about it myself <laughs> yeah did you also do a piece where you were like groomed to be a, a male prostitute yeah that was another uh, yeah uh, uh, an oppressional escort um, right taught me how to become an escort where do you get so where do you get these ideas where do they come from there's things you're curious about i it's it, it really is so uh I, i've learned to be really careless with my pitches because can't know what's gonna like click with my editor so if i have a passing thought i'll write it down in evernote and like well, what if this happened and what if i did this and sometimes like something i think will be amazing that gets w- nothing no response. gets nothing and something i just kind of shit out is they're like yeah go for it what if a dominatrix ties up my balls that's brilliant yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> you're a genius um pulitzer so, so that's your full-time job yeah, between yeah. vice and complex and is there a difference between the two uh, um just like in terms of what you write for each I think I, Vice is definitely the more um, edgy. Not not even edgy because the the dominatrix shits for complex and that's oh, okay. not that. I mean that's somewhat edgy, I guess. I think yeah, the, I'd say that's somewhat edgy. <laughs> Vice has more clout at this point. And right. is, is better for me when I do when I do those. Mm-hmm. Um, but between them, there there isn't too much difference because like a lot of the a a lot of. Uh, online journalism is kind of aping vice at this point and trying to be that not that complex is aping it, but there's, you know, there's similarities. Yeah. They're, they're listing in that direction at this point. So, uh, are you on contract with them or are you freelance? No, I'm freelance. I was staff at one site, uh, like up until May this Mm -hmm. year and that they just slashed their entire editorial team in one day. And I was like, I, all right. I, I've got a neighbor who's a journalist, and he's been doing it for years, and he was talking about how that's been it's the just, case with everything. Yeah, just suddenly, like, uh, you you're don't work here anymore. It's tough. It's weird. It's, it's, a, it's a weird world. Um, it's okay, though, because honestly, when sometimes when that happens, it's like, how am I working less but making more through freelance? It's The only, the only fear is, like, you just don't have insurance anymore. Yeah, no, that's, for sure. That's the, that's the big 
like give and take. Lucky me. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. You know, I I, I was with the SAG at, uh, after a health plan for a while. And the problem with that one is you have to earn a certain amount to be eligible. Mm. So I had a good year and I was in the health plan. And then I uh, stopped earning that much and I was out of the health plan. And then it was one of those things where I was like, uh, how, I'm an actor. How am I supposed to earn? And like, what? So I wound up just on Obamacare and I found out I've got really good insurance and everything. That's good. That's I mean, I'm Canadian, so it all sucks. I was, was going to say, know, at the same time, <laughs> say you know, it's a downgrade, I'm sure. But. Oh, there's no bigger mind fuck than a Canadian moving to this country and being like, Right, so why am I looking at a menu? Yeah, like why? Why am I price comparing health? Well, nobody wants... It's hard for anyone not from Canada to really understand this, but the best way I can put it is um, if you need to go to a doctor in Canada, uh, you go, and then you leave. Yeah, it's it, that sounds so simple that it's awful and we hate it so yeah i know we, we I mean, feel gonna... we feel like someone is is getting the upper hand on us through not that. to get political but vote trump uh <laughs> <laughs> we'll fix it no I, I someone once said that like nobody wants uh nobody wants health insurance everyone wants health care yeah and that's you know that's i've never like been like oh yeah duh that makes so much more sense well it's just it was, it's weird for me coming to this country and having friends be like Hey, I'm like, well, hey, why do you have tape on your hands? Like, ah, oh, I broke my fingers. Like, oh, so why do you have tape on your hand? Oh, because I don't have insurance. I'm like, right, so, but what? You know, and they're like, oh, I just did it myself. I figured it, like, oh my God, that's the priority? It's like, I'll just figure it out. Like, oh boy, that shouldn't be the case. Well, and this dovetails into uh, mental health issues. Absolutely. Where, where it's like... And Canada is not a, a, a wonderful mental health situation either, but... You know, you can still get it if you need yeah. it. It's just you got to go through some, some processes. It, out here, it's uh, expensive. Um, oh, it's so it's and, so but expensive. Thank God for Obamacare. It actually is covered now. By you can get it yeah. covered, which it, used, it, it wasn't before. But um, incremental progress. Like my therapist that. is twenty bucks a session, which is great. Oh, that's with, super with cheap. My copay, yeah, it's yeah. fantastic. But you know, if if it wasn't that, it would have been like I know somebody that pays one hundred and fifty bucks a session. And and I think the it's like uh, a lot of money for something that should be uh, and is very important should be very easy to uh, attain. And and I think that if there were any kind of universal healthcare encompassing uh, therapy uh, and, and mental health services, there would still be the hundred fifty dollars session stuff. Yeah, there would still be private. It. Yeah, and and so I think that you know people having option. that yeah having that option is fine. Yeah, I know. I it's it's just it's uh, it's a tough one. I mean. I, I, not to get too political, although I mean, <laughs> we're we're already in honestly, the thicket. we're here. Uh, I I will say that you know, for all the talk about mental health, um, this is something you know. Uh, the, the, if you ever go to the website, themighty.com, a friend of mine works there. I've got a few people that work there, um, that I know, and they've got a great mental health subject uh, sub uh, uh, section of the website because it's about disabilities the entire thing. But um, and one of them was talking about how, you know, every time there's a mass shooting, the Republican talking point is mental health, mental health, mental health. Mm. And uh, while I disagree that that's the only way to deal with this, uh, my big thing is, is like, they had this article, it's like, yeah, okay, fine. Let's say that's what we're talking about. If that's what you're talking about, then actually do it. It would be nice if you would talk yeah, about yeah. it, you know, not when somebody starts shooting up a place, because honestly, for those of us in the mental health community, it's in no way helpful to us to you know, only bring it up when there's a big shooting, because you know, God forbid. And this, I'm like, I'm a big Bernie Sanders supporter, but this is a big problem I have with Bernie. Is like, whenever there's a big shooting, he brings up mental health, and I'm like, dude, you know, my only problem is that if 
what you're trying to do is get the stigma ended so that people will go get care. We can have these programs which people need to fund and bring up other times. But if you're only bringing it up in the wake of a mental, sh- in a, in a mass mass shooting, you know, then that's going to make it be like, I'm, let's say I'm a guy with depression, but I haven't ever seen anybody. I don't want to go in now because now I'm going to be worried they're going to think I'm a danger. And it's like, that's not the case. I just, you know, like sweatpants. You know what I mean? It's like, so it, it, the thing is, yeah, mental health care needs to be brought you- up. And, and the Repub- Paul Ryan had a bill that he was championing in the wake of the last mass shooting. I mean, at the time of this recording, uh, Orlando, Orlando just happened. But this one he brought up was the one before that. And God, I hope there won't be another one before I release this. Uh, <laughs> but uh, he brought up one that was actually a really good mental health bill, but it was unfortunately in the wrong moment. Right. And it hasn't gained any traction because he only brings it up in those circumstances. But it's actually a good bill. You know, and it's I, just this weird timing and placement. And uh, do anyway. do you think you mentioned that uh, there's like a stigma aspect? Do you think that's the barrier for a lot of people? Because I think it's more cost than access than stigma. I think it's both. It's like I think like the James Gandolfini and Sopranos, like oh, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm a mafia guy. I'm not that's gonna stigma. Get it. Yeah, I, mean, like, I don't. But, I, but that's that's, that's there, one type of stigma. But I, I'm saying is that yeah, there's the like others' perception of you like. It, I, I really, I just, maybe it's anecdotal, but I really feel that, like, most people, it's it's like when you well, say. Well, this is where I go to the arts. I mean, like, we're in the arts, so we yeah. only, like, the, most people we know, it's cost and access. Yeah. They don't know how to get it. But I think that's the third step in the process. Okay. And the first step is, what's wrong with me? Probably nothing. The second step is, there's something wrong with me, but I, I don't want to bother anybody. Mm. And I don't know, I, but like, and also, I don't want people to think about, you know, that that's the stigma. Okay, okay. And then the third step is, okay, but. I can't afford it because that's what I went through. And the thing is, the stigma, though, there is the stigma, which is uh, heavy on the like, whoa, come on, I'm not a, yeah, yeah. hey, whoa, the, the, the Gandolfini <laughs> Sopranos type thing. But there's stigma is more, and this is more what I experienced, and even I came from a liberal background and, and a, a very open family. And the, the, the stigma I experienced is more just like, I don't want to waste anyone's time. I don't want to. There are more important I'm, I'm embed- people yeah, that there are other people with. need this. I, yeah. I'm, I'm privileged. And then there's also like, I'm just embarrassed and like there's probably i'm probably fine everyone's like this like no one talks about it you know no one talks about like what's wrong with me like i gotta just deal with this it's my problem you know that that stigma is 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 around in a lot of ways and yeah there are different types of stigmas like definitely the whole uh what are you crazy is a big one and that's where i think the, the gun argument kind of causes some problems but yeah you think about like you know you're from what Pennsylvania, correct? Oh, yeah, originally, yeah. And then New York, and then here. Mm-hmm. There are people in you know rural places in Pennsylvania, even, but in, in other states, who it's a very like you get up, you work, you do your thing, take care of yourself mm-hmm. kind of attitude, and it's looked down upon to be open with feelings, let alone yeah. be open with something kind of fucked up with your feelings. Yeah. So that that's where that stigma is. It's this whole thing. That's why, like, the I encourage people to just talk about it because, you know, I think the big concern, the concern I had for a long time was, especially with my career, was I I, I wasn't open about it, and then I opened up about it, and my friend was like, "Why are you, you know, like?" I, I, she was like, "How are you?" I hadn't seen her in a while. I was like, "I was like, I'm okay." She's like, "I mean, I see from social media that you're depressed and all that," and I was like, "Yep, you know, I put that out there." And she's like, "Aren't you afraid that that's going to impact your career or anything?" And I was like. You know what? At first I was, but then I thought, if anybody is not going to work with me because I'm like, I get sad sometimes and have anxiety, then fuck them. Yeah. No, it's... It's, it's always a reflection on them and not on you. That's... 
it, it has become sort of a liberating thing to be even it, it takes and, the power yeah away. it's it's cathartic in a way too because like you see my twitter and facebook and stuff like i make a lot of oftentimes somewhat dark jokes oh, yeah. i've had and people ask me if i'm okay based yeah. on my jokes on twitter i i i so one article i wrote for vice was i went to an existential haunted house and explain um it, it was just one of those like modern haunted house things and they call it an existential haunted house just walking through rooms of like students. yeah but it, it was really like the conjuring two kind of like imagery and stuff instead right. of like jump scares sure and but i used the article as a platform to kind of i thought satirically make uh every segment of the house like oh but like will my dad ever respect me? You know, like, well, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. that kind of thing. And some people read it and like, that was so funny. Like that's my favorite thing you ever did because it was, you know, I could see what you were doing there. And some people were like, are you okay? Like, this is yeah. a very, this is a cry for help kind of thing. Yeah, I was like, yeah. I was like, yeah, it God. is and it isn't like it's, it's satirical. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I'm pulling from real feelings. Well, that means but, you did a good job writing it. Okay. Uh, satire, in order for satire to be successful, it needs to be confused for truth. Uh, I'll say this. Um, I, I, the other day, my roommate, needed the apartment for a date he was like mm. having a dinner date so he was like make yourself scarce <laughs> so uh it was just his birthday i was like all right even though they gave me short notice and all i wanted to do was go to bed so i went to you know bar nearby and i wrote this is you know the list app oh yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so i wrote a list which was like it was like 50 items long i've never written one that long but it was like things to do or thoughts that, uh things to do when you you need to uh leave the apartment so your roommate can have it for a date and i made this really long thing that started with like you know go to a bar get a drink mm-hmm. but i made it really sad and depressing <laughs> and really long like get a drink but not one you like because you're not here for fun <laughs> you know and stuff like and i eventually got to the point of like play something on the jukebox anxiously wait and see what people think uh some the bartender skips it someone claps fuck them they can't appreciate the walker brothers sure scott walker got weird in his later days but you know it's good stuff maybe ain't no sun or maybe a, a sun ain't gonna shine anymore isn't good for a bar but whatever i'm having a mood you know and it was like it was just really just sad gradually becoming unhinged I love yeah, it, yeah it was it was uh, you know put something fun on the jukebox you know there's weird stuff like that uh but i want to talk so let's get back to dysthymia for a second uh-huh Dysthymia. God damn, I wish... As uh, the Spanish say, dysthymia. Yes, exactly. Uh, so, dysthymia and, and uh, your writing and, and everything. I'm curious. It sounds like it, it definitely impacts your writing and the stuff you're curious about trying. Sure. Um, but what fascinates me is you went to school for economics. Yeah. And you were on a business track. And even though it was in the arts, in the sense of his agency stuff, I'm curious if... Um, you know, what prompted you to pick economics if there was a relation to your, your depression? And if uh, maybe there's some connection between economics and the arts that people wouldn't kind of even notice. Well, I, I realized, I kind of realized um, at once I was in the agency world that I had always chosen, like planned on going to an agency after school. And it was just to have proximity to the arts because the, I, you know, I was in plays and stuff growing up and mm-hmm. in uh, art honor society, and I was just always doing creative endeavors, and you know I did well in school like on SATs and all that, and I got good grades, and I was, you know, kind of told in more you know in not quite these explicit terms that all right that time is over now it's time to do something real real yeah that's that, a lot that of is told. and like I went to a drama high school. And everybody, like, of the people that graduated, I think, like, only six of us went into any artistic stuff. And 
there's a lot of that. It's like playtime's over, kids. And after I graduated in 2008, which is like the worst time to graduate ever. And <laughs> at, at that point, ever. You know, yeah, exactly. In the Middle Ages, I could have been a surf. It would have been better, you know. That yeah, kind sure, of thing. sure, sure. Um, but I, at least then there's a career path. <laughs> I know you, you, you've got you know the the feudal lord, and he's got work for you. But like I world re- world history part two <laughs> or history of the world part two. Piss boy. <laughs> I I kind of started realizing that oh wait like everything I've been fed up to this point in 2010 or so I'm like uh, none of this is panning out. I've been fed not necessarily lies but misinformation. Yeah. And so why have I done anything that is, you know, that isn't for me anymore? I just have to start doing this for myself. So economics was a choice it, you made it, it was, out of practicality? It was a pragmatic decision completely. In 2008, that's an interesting pragmatic decision. Well, I, I made that decision in 2005 Oh yeah. when I was p- picking my major. Right. Because right. I, I was like, oh, oh right. You're, sorry. Yeah. 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 So, I, so I yeah. just was on that business school path and... And the then, economy collapsed. Then it collapsed, and I was like, "Well, whatever. but you knew exactly how it collapsed because you've been studying economics." <laughs> exactly, people were. So, bu- but what what, what initially made you pick economics in, in back in '05? Um, it, it was really just like these were the options available to me in the business school, and it, I don't know. I I, I don't. I, there, I, I wish I could give you a better answer, but there wasn't this like profound like aha. It was like eh, I kind of wanted like be an agent, and I feel like. Knowing the economy would help. Yeah, I also like took the LSAT and almost went to law school because I yeah. thought I I thought I had to be a lawyer to be get into a good what agency. What your parents too. do? My dad was a uh, he was a, a lawyer in Pennsylvania state government. Okay. For like the governor or something, or like chief counsel. I, I think I, I, he had so many titles that I don't really know. Yeah, sure. My mom was a school teacher. Okay. So my parents were both lawyers, so I understand the. And, and I'm so happy. There was no pressure, really. Well, I mean, just like the, 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 there was none for me either. It was like kind of a, it was one of those things where my dad would be like, you could go to law school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like, please. But uh, we, we all realize now that like that would have been the worst decision. Oh, like, my, my dad finally acknowledged ugh. that too. Like, as you know, I, all, my brothers and I, are, we're all in the arts. My two older brothers are musicians. And there was one of those things where like the other, like maybe a month or two ago, I was talking to my dad like, Hey, maybe I'll go to law school, but he's like, no, nah, no, you would not be a good lawyer. You'd be a good litigator. You wouldn't be a good lawyer. You're doing well right now. So you know that was like progress. And the market's so saturated anyway. It would have sure. been a million times, like just another lawyer popping out into a system that doesn't need it right now. Yeah, exactly. Uh, LSATs, more like LSADs. Uh, that's not. Oh, right. we can edit that out. Uh, no, it's, I don't edit anything out. Um, so. After you left school, how, when did you move to New York? Like right after school? Um, mm, a few months after school, I like went down to Norfolk, Virginia, for a minute, and like was like, oh, no, going nope. back up. Nope, 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 nope. Yeah. This yeah. didn't, this didn't happen. And then well, I. Well, why'd you go out there? Uh, f- well, like my ex at the time was like in school. Was she your ex at the time, or was she your? No, no, she yeah, was. Right. That doesn't make sense. My ex at the time. Yeah, your <laughs> my, girlfriend at the time. My girlfriend at the time, who is now so my. So you ex. went following her there. Yeah. Yeah, and I was just like, uh, you know, I'm, I don't have, it's 2008, it's, or it's 2009 now, I, I don't have any prospects, so sure, why not? I'll go to Virginia. Yeah, and I immediately... Yeah, that's their state slogan, I think. No prospects? Come to Virginia. <laughs> you could do worse. Yeah, and we're uh, not Florida. Um, and so I came right back up to Pennsylvania, and my friend uh, from Pennsylvania, she, had, she went to Pratt in New York and had worked at SNL, and... We were just talking one night. I was like, let's drive up, like, right now. It's 11 o'clock at night. Let's drive up to New York and, like, look 
sleep in the car and like look for uh, apartments in the morning. <laughs> so through all this, the the, the depression. Uh, you said you were diagnosed clinical depression. As a, yeah, as a, that was in college. You're in college. Yeah. And what prompted you to go see somebody? I just knew that I wasn't feeling the way I had uh, before, and and something wasn't right, and there wasn't uh, an exact root cause of it. And, and I, it made me wonder, there was a time in that worst part of it where I was just like, I don't know if like I remember what it's like to be happy. Yeah, no, that's, that's pretty common. Yeah, and, and I was afraid that I wouldn't ever really be able to yeah, get back to that. It feels like an endless pit. Yeah, and so uh, I went, and I had a pretty terrible first uh, encounter. Oh, really? Yeah. Like what was it? it? I, I don't know. I did too, and I'm curious to know yours. I think the... I, th- I don't know if it was a grad student or something, but I, I just kind of was shuffled around a little bit and wasn't given any, there, there was like no credence given to like what I was telling him. And, and he was just like, no, you're probably fine. And <laughs> I, was like, I was like, what? Just like calm down. You know, <laughs> I, was, like, I was like, why would you, this, That's so I'm sure fun. he didn't say it in such a, like some guy's assistant. Yeah. I, it, yeah. it wasn't quite, quite that phrase, but it was pretty dismissive. Well, you know, there's probably some guy standing behind glass watching, just like <laughs> fail. Yeah, just you, you, not the right it's path. It's like for that you, Louis buddy. C.K. joke of like the body you get an F on in medical school. <laughs> That's the, well, my my first experience was I um was still in Toronto and uh, I uh, it was the first time I'd ever felt comfortable saying it to a doctor, and I had a new general physician. You know, I was an adult now. I wasn't going to my my. Um, no Kid lollipops doctor. for me. Yeah. And so I got hooked up with this guy, and he was, you know, I'm Jewish. He's Jewish. He had to keep on, so he's more Jewish. Um, yeah, he, You're so Jewish, you had to keep it in. Do you look for that in a doctor? Thing. No. It's just, <laughs> well, it's kind, of, it's kind of hard to not find one in okay. a doctor in Toronto. But uh, no, you know, it's just he was – so I don't know how – I think he's, like, in the office of my mom's doctor. And he was accepting new patients, and, you know, I went in, and uh, he did the physical and all that. And in the end, I was, I was like – you know, I, I was wondering if you could give me a referral to a psychiatrist or a therapist. And he said, why? You know, what's going on? I used to be a counselor. You know, if you could talk to me about it. And I was like, all right, okay. In my head, I was like, honesty, honesty, honesty. It's like, well, honestly, I'm very self-conscious. And, you know, I don't think I really like myself. And he goes, um, are you religious? And in my head, I'm like, all right, that's a, that's a red flag. But, but. Hear but Hear honesty, honesty, honesty. You got to be honest with this is what you have to be. So I said, not really. He goes, do you believe in God? I said, honesty. In my head, honesty. I was like, uh, well, I'm agnostic. You know, I don't really know. And he goes, um, rolls his eyes and goes, well, my people believe. He's fucking, <laughs> he's given me the, he's given, I don't know how familiar you are with Judaism. He's given me the, uh, the, um, I'm in the arts. Yeah. Yeah. Fair <laughs> enough. He's giving me the, uh, the Passover Seder answer to the bad son because there's the bad there's the three sons with the questions and the bad son's like what does this mean to you and you're supposed to dismissively say like well my people believe so he was like well my people believe that god has put us on this planet for a reason and you know blah 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 and i was like i felt i was crushed i was like yeah. oh my god i'm never talking to anybody again it was a disaster like yeah. that was the worst way That's to so do that terrible. and I, honestly i have no issue with people of faith and i think that faith can actually be very helpful to a lot of sure. people with these issues but Fuck you. Like, dude, I didn't even go back to him for anything else. For Like, that's that's how damaging that stuff can be. But, you know, it's important to try again. So I'm glad you tried again, clearly. Yeah, yeah, I, I did. And, and it, uh, I, I mean, honestly, it was like dating yeah, someone, exactly someone in, in, like dating. So, well, I'm saying it was dating someone in the field. Oh, really? That, the, my, who's, she's now a doctor. And, yeah. you know, she was really. It's good that you're on good terms to, to text and ask if that's a term. Oh, yeah. oh, we're, we're, we're friends to great. this day. It's great. And she was like really supportive and like 
she's like, I can't diagnose you, you know, like I'm too close to you, but right, like, like I recognize these things and these are important things that you need to take care of. And she was really supportive and encouraging. And was that around the time that you first started? Like, yeah. Going? Yeah. Okay. And, uh, uh, so since then, have you kept up with therapy? I mean, you, I said you were said you were on Wellbutrin for a while. How long were you on that? When did you get off and why? I got off that because it just, it, it was really kind of like me fine tuning and tweaking to, to, see what worked for me and after a while it didn't feel necessary and so Good. i just got off it and yeah, that, that, you know, that's it, important. It, it's kind of just like you know seeing if the the house of cards will stay standing after you well <laughs> that's good just for people listening at home i mean who are maybe not sure about medication um meds are not always yeah you're a not permanent on... solution like in a sense that they're not some if you're worried about taking meds they're not like i've been on them for a few years now and i'm changing them now and it just so happens because of the way my life works. I, I'm probably going to be on them for a bit. But, you know, there are people where meds are a really good way to get, you know, if necessary, get you kind of back to level. Uh, and I've always said that meds are not a solution on their own. You have to be going to therapy while taking them because they're there to kind of balance you out so therapy can be effective. Uh, and it can get to a point where, yeah, you can get leveled out. You can be going to therapy and then you can get off the meds because it's balanced you out enough so that therapy is there and cognitive behavioral, whatever it is, can keep you in that spot. So it, it, it's okay to recognize that that is something that can happen. I don't recommend just stopping your meds. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to talk to it and do it in conjunction with a counselor or a therapist uh, and a psychiatrist. But um, yeah, don't think that you're going to be on, on them forever. Like that's, I know a, a thing I was worried about when I first started. At, at this point, I mean, when I have minor episodes now i see it as it, it is usually like almost all nine times out of ten tied to financial troubles yeah and so like that just and which is legitimate just like, a lot yeah of the time just recognize that that triggering something like just knowing that though is just like well you know here's the root cause like this is a lot easier to figure out a solution to well that's something that my, that my mom always says which i think is very helpful which i know is you know, anti-stereotype uh, uh, the guy with a mental health problem is like, no, my mom said something great. <laughs> uh, but no, she's like, you know, sometimes it's, it, if you're having anxiety, there's sometimes real valuable, real reasons. It's okay. Yeah. You know, it's okay to be anxious when you are broke. It's okay mm -hmm. to be anxious about work when you're out of work. Like these yeah. are things that make sense. And it, when there's a lot of things that are stressful going on, it's okay. It's just a matter of not letting it trigger other stuff or not or recognizing right. it triggering other when, stuff. When you're not working and then you dip into, like, what is, you know, my purpose in the world? Yeah, and that's like, a problem. Then, then like, so you, know, you, can't, you can't let yourself slide too far into that. Exactly. I mean, I mean, and look, you can't stop yourself, but you can try and recognize what's happening at least and track it. And are you seeing a therapist now? No, no, I'm not. I'm, How long has it been? A couple of years, honestly. And so uh, why'd you stop? It, financial stuff financial stuff and it's you do get busy and like that's not an excuse because you have to make time and i've been i've had bad episodes since then where i've been encouraged to get back into it and it's just really it didn't seem like something i could do because of finances and and time constraints and fortunately like i'm not i'm currently not at a place where i'm doing poorly and i, and I feel that need for it but you know, there, there are times when I'd like, I could just really once a month even use. No, I, I think that's a good idea. I really think you should do it. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I said that to literally everybody. Because uh, uh, <laughs> honestly, I, liter I literally girl, everyone was, Yeah, could. literally everyone should see that. But I remember I was dating a girl. I was like, you should see a therapist. She's like, you got to stop saying that. I was like, no, it's not an insult. I mean, but the thing is, there's 
quite legitimately, I, I think it, it's important. And, and, and I said this to a, uh, somebody else on the podcast uh, before she was talking about how she feels like it's almost a waste when you're in a good mood to see a therapist. I'm like, no, that's the best time no. because you actually go exactly. in and you figure out why you're feeling good and you talk about why you're feeling good and what it is. And it, it, it's just really... It's, I can stay on that path. It's and, a checkup, yeah. you know, yeah. and it's, it's important. Uh, so, I, you know, I recommend you do that. Uh, so I, I want to wrap up now. I got a few quick questions. Sure. Um, so w- what has been most helpful to you with dealing with this stuff? Getting support from others and being, you know, told that uh, there are solutions and and being led to those, mm-hmm. and you know, not having to go through it alone. That's that just was talking and just yeah, just just knowing that you know, constant encouragement that you know when you feel the most alone, having someone come in and like really tell being me that like, yeah, that sucks. Yeah, exactly. That's that's definitely it because it's yeah, I I don't like to. I, I pretend like I like to feel all that stuff alone and carry that weight, but I know in my core that's not the case. No, I mean, I had a really bad weekend. The uh, Labor Day weekend was really bad for me. God, how many times have I mentioned that on this podcast? Uh, <laughs> this is the problem with recording a season in a week is like people are going to be hearing my bad Labor Day weekend stories for the next 10 weeks. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I had a really bad Labor Day weekend, and I was just sitting there, and I went and saw a movie with, a fr- with two friends. And two of my close friends, and they, you know, one of them even recognized, like, I, I was not talking, which is very rare for mm. me. Uh, but, you know, I went home, and I was kind of lying down, and I, since I saw them, I didn't move for, like, hours. I was just lying down, staring at the ceiling. I cried for one of the first times in my adult life. I don't cry much, except for when I watch Toy Story 3 or whatever. Oh, it's, it's all movies. I cry in movies. Movies. That's I don't cry in real That's, life. I, I, I don't know what it is. And I kind of, like... I, I Maybe I'll, eke out a tear every I'll, once in a while. I'll right. lean into those though because I, I'm so grateful. I'm empathetic. I cried know? during Bad Grandpa. What the fuck is wrong with oh me? Oh my god! I didn't. I see was it. just like, it's so beautiful. <laughs> like <laughs> the makeup uh, design. Well, anyway, but so I, I call, I, but I, I picked up the phone and called one of my friends. And this is a friend of mine. He's he's Brazilian. He is he's a great guy, really smart guy. But you know, we we often have these conversations about culture differences, and he's got a very different attitude towards mental health and stuff mm. because he's just he came from a culture that's very different about it. But um. You know, he's not exactly the guy you reach out to when you're like, oh, I got, I got. but I called him. I was like, dude, I'm in a really bad place. Do you want to go get a beer or just get out of the house? Like, help me. And he's like, yeah, yeah, okay. And he just came and we, we went out. But it's, it, it's still, like, no matter what it is, always calling out and calling yeah. a friend and being like, I got to get out. And they'll, you know, any friend, there's not, if there's a, there's not a single person who you consider a friend who's going to say no to that kind right. of question. Exactly. If you say, I really need to get out of the house, I'm in a really bad way, somebody's always going to be like, yep, I'm on my way. Uh, okay, what's the best advice you've ever been given on this stuff? Hmm. Let me say stuff out loud while I think so you don't have radio silence. Appreciate that. <laughs> um, um, I, I don't think that I've been given any, like, one soundbite of advice, but I've been introduced to, like, various, like, methods of, of handling my own depression. Um that worked for me that might not work for other people, but it's, it is just like being, okay, let me try and distill it. Uh, the, the fact is that it isn't your fault. Mm -hmm. You didn't do anything wrong. Like I said that before earlier, but like knowing that, and once you fully internalize that, it's really a a good way to overcome. Yeah, exactly. You can overcome a lot. And, and the worst thing anyone who's depressed wants to hear is like, it'll get better. It's okay. You know, like, well, that because leads me into my next question. What's the worst advice you've ever been given? Um, just it, d- during my worst times, like, you know, people saying, like, no, I know it'll get better for you. And because, like, 
if you're half intelligent, you know that like bad things happen to good people all the time. Mm -hmm. And like, there are always uh, outliers and like some of the, you know, some valedictorians are like in a, in a crack house right now, you know, that just isn't the case. You can't know that things are going to get better. And so hearing that was never helpful for me. Right, right, right. So, I mean, I, it's interesting because I do find that like acceptance of the fact that it's not going to be forever is helpful, but I think that's a, it, it's the same thing phrased differently. Yeah, like it, hearing the certainty, you'll be fine. The certainty is what you'll be is. fine is problematic, but hearing like you're not going to feel this way forever is the same thing, but it's like I think it's more helpful in like th- that kind of a sense. It's just I just don't like being told like that. No, there, I'm like you're not. You don't know. You, yeah, yeah, you're exactly. not Nostradamus. You can't like figure this out. So could not, but he could. <laughs> but yeah, he could. Uh, may he rest in peace. I want to go back to methods though, real quick. Like, what okay. other methods? I mean, there's, it's not your fault. Like, do you have any other things like that you um, find yourself doing? It just because for people at home, it might be helpful. Oh man, this is this is territory I don't necessarily want to get into because like I I don't feel qualified. Oh, so then don't, you know? Yeah, I mean, no, this, I mean it's, it's they're, personal experience. No, they're, so. it's it's they're not even really easy to articulate because it's you know so internal. Yeah, it's so internal that and, that it's reflex at uh, this point, okay. and and it's not a. Do you feel like verbalizing it might hurt? Yeah, verbalizing it might like undo it. Not even undo it for me, but mm, like not get across what it is for me. Oh, so then let's and not, yeah, so don't worry about it. Sorry about that. Just, it's not your fault. Just watch that clip from Goodwill just, Hunting of Robin Williams. It's not your fault. <laughs> it's not your fault. Just, just it's uh, not your fault. Just go see. Like honestly, like Eli said, go go see someone. Go talk to someone. Yeah. Uh, do you think all people in the arts are crazy? No. No, you don't think no, so? no, of course not. There's, there are people that are so well adjusted and well rounded that it makes me angry at them. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I think uh, people that come up through the I'm going to be an actor and you know, like you, I'm sure you've encountered people that are like almost Stepfordy in their put togetherness. Yeah, which makes me go like, what's going on? But I think some people are just like that. I think they're just. I know. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that's that, that's the thing that's hard for people like us to realize. But it is true. Some people are just. They're just. They got their shit together. They they are so driven and focused. And there's you know they're also they're probably like pretty and smart and and have a lot of things going for them like for genetically. Them. Yeah, good for <laughs> them. So like they don't have bastards. Yeah, fuck them. I hate them. Yeah, but no, no it's sure. yeah. So I think a lot of people on the creative side of the arts definitely are, but there, there's a few exceptions for sure. Uh, what advice do you have for other people who want to get into writing and all that stuff or, or in comedy who, who have depression, anxiety? The, I mean, it's something that's been said by a million other people, but you just have to do it like every day or as much as possible. Yeah. Um, I, it took me a while to build the habits, but Eventually, it'll get to a point where your art, writing, comedy, whatever it is, will start to help you overcome the the bad stuff. Yeah. The depression. Like, I I do feel um, competent and, like, I have worth when I'm doing those things now. And it's because... Other people have have imbued me with that a little bit, but it's also... But I I mean, I I got to that point myself. Mm. I worked to the point where people were... Give, like give me financial and uh, cultural value. Yeah, nice. And uh, finally, I mean, we talked about this a little bit in the middle, but you know, what what thoughts do you have on how we can fix kind of the status of uh, mental health and, and all that stuff in this country? Like, wh- what do you think we as people can do? 
Well, we, as since we aren't politicians, we just have to do our best to normalize it to people. Just like people, you know, came out of the closet about being gay, you have to let people know that, like, you're still a complete person, but you deal with shit sometimes, and, you know, it's, it doesn't change who you are, and it shouldn't change how they affect you, how they perceive you. Yeah. Um, and once, you know, enough people are doing that, the whole country or world will see it as just something that a lot of people deal with and it's just part of everyday life amen to that where can people find you online on on uh you can look me up at justin caffier c-a-f-f-i-e-r on all my media's social all my media's social uh and uh vice vice complex uh, complex, yeah you can just just I, here's the thing look up justin caffier on google like it, that's all me that's no, nobody else has that so nice i got some nice seo Ooh, there you go search engine optimization uh justin caffier or caffier as your <laughs> thanks coach high school coach would say thank you so much for being here thanks so much for having me all right that's episode five thank you justin caffier for being here follow him online find all of his writing i mean if that dominatrix thing did not get you <laughs> curious i don't know what else will uh but he's got some great pieces on there so, so take a look uh f- email us if you have any questions comments concerns it's all in your head podcast at gmail.com also twitter at in your head pod and of course my very favorite social media platform that is absolutely necessary instagram is at it's all in your head podcast so please take a look at the faces of all the people i've talked to next week we have a great episode i'm very excited um as i said with last week's episode with carly uh we do different i have different types of episodes and and next week is is definitely a, a very different departure but it's a very necessary one and um i'm excited for you to to listen to it next week i have carl tart on the show he is a, a black comedian uh and performer and he is comedian and performer i mean that's the same think don't worry about it he is a, a very smart very funny guy and uh we talk about the mental health stigma in the african american community which is uh, prevalent, extremely prevalent. And, you know, it's something that I, I, I thought I, I mean, I always knew, I always, you know, I guess I figured, but I just didn't really know to what extent. So we really get into why that's there, how it got there. Um, we talk a little bit about, you know, Carl's work and his comedy and, uh, and all that, but you know, it, it's, um, I think a very important episode and a very important conversation that needs to happen more. And he's got some really great insight, uh, into, what can be done and uh, what we can do. So tune in. That's next week, Monday, 10:30 AM. That's when I see my therapist. Thanks for listening. I'm Eli Henry. It's all in your head. It's all in your head.